Amen. Yes, we're living in a time where worldly culture is pretty much affecting much of what we say and much of what we do. People, people are becoming easily offended. Uh, people are taking what is good and they're calling it bad. People are taking what is right and they're saying that's wrong. Uh, and people are taking the truth of God's word and they're putting their own little spin on it. Even political correctness is going mad. Uh, I read an article the other week and it said that in one part of the, the world, they no longer called brainstorming brainstorming because they believe it's offensive to people with epilepsy. So they are now calling it thought showers. In another part of the world, uh, in another part of the world, you know, like two characteristics, characteristics or qualities, are, uh, what's it called? Reliable and hardworking. Two qualities that every employer looks for in, 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 in an employee, right? Well, in one part of the world, a recruitment agency was told to remove those two qualities from their job advertisement because it's offensive to people who are unreliable. <laughs> Here's another one. In another part of the world, a uni university released a statement to say that it is culturally insensitive to expect people to arrive on time. And here's why. Because in some cultures, time is fluid. It's important that we don't reflect the culture of the world, but we shift the culture. You are the shift in culture. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you begin to pattern yourself after him. Culture of, you know, in a culture of hate, we don't reflect, we shift, we extend love. In a culture of love for money, or for money, we don't reflect, we shift the culture. Uh, we, we, don't, uh, we don't set our minds on things of the earth, we set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth, because the things of the earth will fade away. The, the mansion will fade away, the car will fade away, the money will fade away, but God will never fade away. Uh, life everlasting, eternity will never fade away. In a culture that is absorbed with self, we don't reflect, we shift. We care beyond ourselves and our own. In a culture that is rampant with violence and war, we don't reflect, we shift, we extend peace, we extend mercy, we extend forgiveness. In a culture that's absorbed with greed, we don't reflect, we shift. How? We shift the culture with our generosity. And before you go thinking, oh, this is one of those money sermons. No, it's actually more than just that. I'm talking about being generous with our love. I'm talking about being generous with our time being generous with our compliments, being generous in our giving, being generous in our helping. And so this morning, my message is simply titled, Takers, Keepers, and Givers. In Luke chapter 10, you'll read a story about a lawyer who actually asked Jesus a pretty interesting question. Lawyers back in the time of Jesus, they're not the same as, you know, lawyers nowadays. Lawyers back in the time were people who uh, read the Word, they studied the Word of God, they read the Bible, and uh, they had to read it, meditate it, uh, memorize it, recite it. They, had to, they, they knew the word of God inside out. But this particular lawyer, he asks Jesus a question and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns around to the lawyer and says, you tell me, you know the word, you're a lawyer. You tell me, what does the word say? What must you do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer says this, it's there in your notes, Luke 20, uh, 10, 27 to 29. So he, the lawyer, uh, the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. For someone who knew the word, this lawyer, a lawyer in his time, he should have been already known what the answer to the question 
was. It's as simple as that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you look at the Ten Commandments, you'll find that the first four commandments are all about loving God with all your strength, soul, mind, and heart. It says, have no other gods before me. It says, you shall make no idols. Don't bear the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. And the remainder of the commandments and the Ten Commandments are all about loving people. It says, honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not be a false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet. And so in two sentences, the lawyer sums up the entire Ten Commandments, the entire law. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus responds and says, you're right. Now do that and you will live. At this point, it was as if the lawyer realized, well, I'm good at loving God, but I'm not quite sure about loving the neighbor as I love myself. Actually, it depends on how you define neighbor, Jesus, because if my neighbor is my brother and my sister next door, then I'm doing just fine. And so the lawyer then asks Jesus a question. He says, who is my neighbor? Define my neighbor. What do they look like? Who are they? Where are they from? How far must I go away from my home for them to no longer be my neighbor? Jesus, who is my neighbor? And get this, Jesus replies with an illustration and he says this, Luke 10, 29 to 37. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The lawyer would have been puzzled at this point to hear that a priest, someone who knew the word, who was familiar with the word like he was, didn't even stop to help the wounded man, but passed on by. Jesus carried on and said, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Again, the lawyer would have been puzzled. You've got a Levite, someone who knew the word and actually uh, worked inside the temple, went as far as to come close and have a look and get passed by on the other side again. But you see, this is where Jesus introduces a shift. Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where the wounded man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What you need to understand this morning is that the Samaritans and the Jews, they don't get along. They clash all the time. There's a conflict between the two. They don't really see eye to eye. Many scholars of the word believe that the wounded man was actually a Jew. And so for Jesus to say that a Samaritan came along and helped the Jew was absurd. The priest, a Jew, didn't help the Jew. A Levite, the Jew, didn't help the Jew. But the Samaritan did. For Jesus to say that the Samaritan helped him was crazy because the reality is this, Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. They don't roll like that. When Jesus comes to the, to the well, Jesus, a Jew, he meets a woman at the well and he says, give me something to drink. And this woman being a Samaritan said, Jesus, 
You already know how it is. We don't share things. Jews and Samaritans don't really get along. Yet even the lawyer, he didn't even want to utter the word Samaritan. Instead, he refers to the generous man as the one who showed mercy. And so what we see here is Jesus revealing what was actually going on inside the heart of the lawyer. By sharing this illustration, Jesus paints a really important picture for all of us who are culture shifters. Are you ready for it? In cultural anthropology, cultural anthropology is a study of the human society and, and cultures and how they are being developed. In cultural anthropology, you learn about what is called the reciprocity types. It is this uh, study that looks at the principle of giving and receiving. There are three major reciprocity types. There are those who take, there are those who match the level of reciprocity, you could call them keepers, and there are those who give. And in this story, those are the same three people that I want to look at, uh, that I want us to look at this morning. Number one, the takers. The takers in the story are the thieves. We read that they not only stripped the man of his clothing, they wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Takers will strip you of what you have. They will sometimes wound you, leave you, and then have you feeling like you've got almost no life left in you. And this is because those who take are not thinking about how they can advance the world. They're not thinking about how they can advance the kingdom. They're not thinking about how they can advance the relationship. They are thinking about how they can advance themselves. So if it means I got to take from you and beat you to get what I want from you, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm advancing myself. And so everything becomes a case of you've got something that I deserve. You've got something that belongs to me. You've got something that I should have. There's a quote that says, Know the difference between those who stay to feed the soil and those who come to take the fruit. Takers only come to grab the fruit. They're not interested in feeding no soil. They're only interested in taking the fruit. Takers will follow you for years. Takers will walk with you for years. Takers will be your friend for years as long as you've got an abundance of fruit. As long as you got the cash, I'll be right there with you. As long as you got the connections, I'm going to be right there with you. As long as you got the Maserati, I will roll with you. But the moment you go through a season of drought, the moment you roll up in a Toyota van, they're nowhere to be found. The moment you've got nothing but a couple of cabin bread biscuits left in your cupboard and chicken backs in your freezer, they are nowhere to be found. Why? Because takers only come to take the fruit. They're not interested in feeding no soil. They're not interested in building with you. They're not interested in constructing with you. Judas Iscariot, he was one of the 12 disciples, walked with Jesus, followed Jesus, saw how Jesus gave of himself. He sat and ate with Jesus. And yet after all of that, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't enough for Judas to be counted as one of the 12. It wasn't enough for Judas uh, to be given the authority to heal and cast out demons like Jesus did. It wasn't enough for Judas to just trust and believe in Jesus. No, and so when the opportunity arose for him to advance himself, when the opportunity arose for him to make a living out of betraying his friend, guess what he did? He did just that. He betrayed his friend. Why? Because he was only there to grab the fruit. He was only interested in what he could get out of it. If we are honest with ourselves, we often do that with God. Lord, as long as you can get me out of this mess, I, I promise I'll never sin again. Lord, if you can heal me right now, I'll give my life to you forever. Lord, I don't have time to spend with you right now, but you know my heart. 
we become takers in our walk with God. And we only take, we only walk with him. We only want him for the fruit, but we're not interested in staying and feeding the soil of our hearts. We treat God like a friend with benefits. We enter into the relationship with him and we use him to get what we want. We don't want to get serious with him though. We don't want to get caught out in public with him though because we're only in it for what we can get out of it. But if we are the shift in culture, if we are meant to pattern ourselves after Jesus, it means that we refuse to be takers. I haven't actually read anywhere in the Bible where Jesus, uh, where Jesus is being portrayed as a taker. Matter of fact, the only taking that Jesus does is takes our guilt, shame, and our sin and nails it to the cross. The real OG taker I read about in the Bible is a devil who comes to kill, steal, uh, steal, kill, and destroy. Sounds like a taker to me. But that's not who you are. You're not takers. You're a culture shifter. The second group of people I want to look at this morning are the keepers. The keepers in the story are the priest and the Levite. A lot of similarities between the two, uh, but they are both symbolic of the ruling religious institutions of the nation of Israel. These guys, they know the word. They are all about keeping the rules. You got to be addressed uh, appropriately to carry out the tasks and responsibilities of a priest and the Levite. They minister to the people and they minister to the Lord. They are all about staying pure, staying holy, keeping the laws. They come along, they see the wounded man, they go as far as to get a closer look at him, but because they can't touch him, because their rules say that if you touch him, you'd become unclean, they decide to walk right on by. They keep to themselves for fear of breaching their religious rules and protocols. Keepers are driven by safety and security. Keepers are hardworking people who believe if I worked hard for it, then it belongs to me. Everybody else needs to work hard for it as well. Sometimes keepers may view others' needs as an inconvenience. If it is going to compromise my safety, if it's going to compromise my security, then I'm not going to do it. And so because of that, keepers won't go the extra mile. If I've done what I've been asked to do, that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything else. Just like the priests and the Levites, I'll study the Bible I'll memorize the Bible. I'll get to the Sunday service. I'll serve in the church. I'll pay my tithes, but don't expect me to help no wounded man on the road. Don't expect me to feed no hungry. Don't expect me to, to clothe no poor. You see, keepers will be generous with people who they want to be generous with. Sometimes keepers will use phrases like, that's not my department. That's, that's not my job. That's not my area. They see a need but are too afraid to do anything about it because I'll compromise my safety and my security. If I feed you, who's going to feed me? If I, if I give up a little more than normal, how, what about me and mine? And so everything becomes a transaction with keepers. If you help me, I'll help you. Keepers will only be generous to people who are generous to them. The priest and the Levite, they go as far as to come up and see, but they don't get involved because they're only about serving in the house of God. <laughs> you got to be careful with the keepers, you know, because they've got an attention to detail that nobody else has. They will notice that Michael and Renee haven't been to church for the last three weeks, but don't want to call them or text them. Keepers will walk into the office and notice that there is rubbish on the floor and they will say, the cleaners are not here today. Let me break it down for you a little bit more. The keepers, uh, they're the kind of people who will notice that you are going through some things in life. It's obvious that you're in need of help, but they will say, hey, Call me if you need anything. <laughs> a good example of a keeper. I know you're laughing because none of us in here are keepers. Amen. Glory to God. A good example of a keeper 
is the rich young ruler. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't be a false witness. Honor your father and mother. The rich young ruler said, oh, all good. I've done this ever since I was youth. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. But there's one of them you haven't done yet. Go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come back and follow me. The Bible says a young man was so shocked and went away grieving when he was told to sell all of his possessions. You mean to tell me you want me to sell everything that I've worked hard to get? Yes. You see, this young ruler's problem was not that he owned a lot of things. His problem was that he cared more for what he had that he didn't want to be obedient to what Jesus was asking of him. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that we've been keepers sometimes. We've seen the need, but we've walked on by because it was either an inconvenience to us or we're just too afraid to help. We've become keepers when God has asked us to do a little more than what we're already doing. And we say, Lord, I worked hard to make this money. I'm not going to give it to them. Lord, I need this more than they do. Lord, if, if they want it, they can come and ask for the help. Lord, they never helped me. Why should I help them? Lord, I don't want to talk to them. They never talk to me. Lord, I just want to keep my community between me and you. I don't need them. And so in a world full of people who are looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for love, we ought not to just keep to ourselves because we know the word. We've seen God's hand at work in our lives and we can't afford to be comfortable and be safe and be secure in what we have that we're too afraid to reach out to a dying world. We're meant to be the shift in culture. And if you're not a taker, if you're not a keeper, then guess what? You're a giver. That's the third point this morning. You are a, the givers. The giver in the story is the good Samaritan who helped the wounded man. The Bible says that the Samaritan saw, he felt compassion, he went on and bandaged uh, his wounds. The giver saw the need, the giver felt compassion, the giver jumped in to help. Takers will say, how will you help me? Keepers will say, if you help me, I will help you. But givers will say, how, how can I help you? Givers will walk into a room and ask, how can I serve people today? It's because givers live out of a sense of abundance. There's enough for everyone. Givers are not afraid to get their hands dirty. If it means I've got to stop and help you on my way to the church service, I'll do it. Some of you are probably thinking, mm -mm. a few years ago, um, we were preparing to go to White Sunday. And White Sunday in our culture is this day where all the young people are being celebrated and we come with our white clothes. And we were sitting in the back of our church van and we're on our way to church. And uh, my dad notices that there's this guy whose car has like died at the lights at one of the busiest intersections in Ōtara. And he turns around to all of us and he's like, get out, everyone get out. We're going to go and help, you know, push start the car. And so me and my cousins, and we're, we're all looking at each other like we're in our white clothes. And my dad goes, get out, we're going to do it. So we all jump out. We start to push, push start the car. And then I start to feel the rain. And I say to my dad, dad, our clothes are going to get wet. We're going to get dirty. Push the car. So we start pushing the car, push, push. And the car started to go. But I look over to my cousin who had taken all morning straightening her hair. Her hair starting to fizzle. My other cousin, his his clothes are getting dirty. Our, our white sneakers are all dirty. We're pushing this car. It goes, and the young man comes out, and he's like, thank you so much. He's grateful. He goes out. We jump in the van, and we go to church. Were we drenched? Yes. Were we dirty? Yes. Did my cousin's hair smell burnt because she was straining it all morning? Yes. 
But I realized that in that moment, to be a giver means you're willing to get uncomfortable. Givers don't mind getting uncomfortable. The Bible says that this wounded man was half dead. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how horrific that scene would have been. All we know is that the, the, the man was half dead. All we know is that the Samaritan was willing to get uncomf- uncomfortable. The Samaritan was willing to help the wounded man. The Samaritan didn't just see. He felt compassion. He went on over and he started to bandage the wounds of the man, a man who was a Jew, a man whose culture looked down at the Samaritan. But he was willing to give of himself, to give of his money, to give of his time, to give of his help. That's who you were meant to be. That's who we are meant to be. We're not takers. We're not keepers. We are givers. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a giver. If I can ask the keys to join me. (laughs) Here is the point that I'm trying to make this morning. This is the takeaway for us today. If we were created in the image of God, if we're going to shift the culture by patterning ourselves after God, then we're going to need to give like God. How did God give? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. The highest form of love was God giving of himself to all of humanity. He didn't just give to a certain group of people. He didn't just give to a a particular zip code. No, he gave to all of humanity. That is the major difference between the takers, the keepers, and the givers. Takers are motivated by advancing self. Keepers are motivated by safety, but givers are motivated by love. God isn't just after the action. He's not just after the giving. No, he's after the motive. He's after the heart behind the action. Love. To every culture shifter in the room, to every giver in the room this morning, here's what I want to say to you. Our love for God should manifest itself in the love for people that he created. It's as simple as this. Love God, love people. 1 John 4 verse 20 to 21 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does, who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I can't say that I love God whom I cannot see with my eyes and say that I don't love people he created whom I see every single day. Because loving God will express itself in loving others. How do we love people? We love like God loves. To love like God loves is to give of ourselves. To give of our time, to give of our efforts, to give of our support, to give of our resources, to give of our help, to give of our love. It means you're going to have to love people who don't look like you. You're going to have to love people who don't dress like you. You're going to have to love people who aren't as clever as you. You're going to have to love people who aren't from the same postcode area as you. You're going to have to love people who don't vote for the same party as you. You're going to have to love people who probably weren't even born in the same country as you. 
It means you're going to have to love people who don't think like you, love people who don't talk like you, love people who don't speak the same language as you. It doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, because the love for God will be expressed in genuine love for others. You see, when the lawyer asked the question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus flipped that question on its head and said, who of the three people acted more like a neighbor? Was it the taker, was it the keeper, or was it the giver? The answer is, it was the giver. Because loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself, it had nothing to do with an external expression, but everything to do with the motive of the heart. It's all about love. Loving God and loving people. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. There are two groups of people that I want to pray for. Uh, first of all, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm all good with loving up, but I'm struggling to love out. Perhaps after hearing this message this morning, you realize that maybe you're stuck in the takers or the keepers zone. And if that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you search our hearts this morning and know our ways. Lord, we thank you that where we have failed to love you supremely, Lord, where we have failed to love people completely, Lord, your son Jesus has done that perfectly. And so we thank you that the answer to a heart that is not abounding in love for others, the answer to a heart that is just going through ritual, Lord, is not to do more, but the answer is to look to the cross. Because at the cross, Lord, we rediscover the magnitude of your love for us. At the cross, you proved your love for us. At the cross, our deepest need to be loved was met. And for that, God, we thank you. And so I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your love, God, would flood our hearts so that we are able to love the people whom you created. Because when we love one another, Lord, your love abides in us and is perfected in us. We receive your love, and as we leave this place, Lord, I pray that your love would manifest in us. Lord, let it start with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If we can keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know what it means to be loved by God and to love God, I would like to give you an opportunity this morning to know God and know his love. The thing is, God loves you. The creator of this entire universe loves you. And he wants nothing more than for you to experience his love through a personal relationship with him. The Bible says God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. But you see, we don't experience God's love because we ignore him. We don't trust God and we don't think that he wants the best for us. And so we choose to go our own way. The Bible says that that is called sin. Sin is the thing that damages and destroys our relationship with God. It is a sin that separates us from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but also the penalty of sin is death. But you see, our sin didn't stop God from loving us. He came to earth through the person of Jesus Christ and gave his life for us. He took our place on the cross and he paid the penalty of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I we're due for our sin. And today he extends to every single one of us his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, 
a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin, turn away from disobedience, turn away from doing things our own way and turn to Jesus Christ. Put our trust in Jesus, put our hope in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus because the Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I want to come into a relationship with God. I want to stop doing things my way and I want to do things God's way. I want to live for God. I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and you can put it back down straight away. And you don't have to be shy or afraid in here. Nobody in this room was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we are here with you and we're standing with you. And so if that's you, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, thank you, I see that hand. If I can encourage you to pray with me this morning, repeat this prayer after me, and I want you to know the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But the prayer is an expression of your faith being put in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.